0: Going back to maintain the context of our verses this morning, even though we will focus on just verses 18 through 21, I want to go back to verse 11 to get the full brevity of the context in which God tells us, and He says, Beloved, I love that, the ones that are loved are His children. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, that's the word for submission, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the emperor, servants, be subject to your masters, with all respect, not only to do the good and the and not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? This is quite an amazing passage that teaches us so much about submission. I ask this question, submission in the workplace, why? Why is this important? Well, the goal that that we espoused last week is still the same, but with a different twist. Our goal is not to glorify our rights, but to bring people to the point of glorifying God. See, we live in a society that. Everything is about rights. Give me my rights or I'll fight back in every imaginable way possible. I will put you down. I will step on you. I will make you look like nothing, feel like nothing, try to make you be nothing so that way I am more something so I can enjoy my right. And if we look at it, this kind of demanding of rights, we can see just in about every aspect of our news today. In contrast, God's word says, the idea here as Christians, we are not to demand our rights by being troublemakers or lawbreakers in society. The believing citizen, as a, as a child of God, it is For the Lord's sake, it is for the Lord. It is being actually first submissive to the Lord. It is our duty to be submissive to those authorities that God has established. And that is the real idea, is to be submissive. God has placed a system in order to create order in the midst of chaos and many times what we see now is when people refuse to live a life based on submission, whether they're saved or whether they're not, it's more natural for those who are not a part of the body of Christ to live in disorder. It's common. It actually should be expected. But as we live in submission to God, His idea is for us to be submissive and in order. And the problem is, is when we make excuses and say, well, if they would just be this way, I would be this way. No, God said to live in order in this way of submission. You know, submission is, this, is an attitude of respect that results in obedience to authority that produces positive good deeds or positive results Being submissive is being in proper order. It's being under God's authority in God's order of things. Whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's about governmental things. See, now here is the thing. People want to make it about our rights. But if you notice in the verses that we read, it isn't about our rights. In fact, if you compare our life to God's holiness We have no rights because we're all condemned sinners. But as believers, our rights that we have only reflect on the gift that was given to us through Christ dying on the cross for our sins. You see, rights is not the perspective which God produces order in things, whether it's in the church or whether it's in our community or whether it's in our government. The contrast is is completely different. And here's the thing. It's not about being right. It's not about whether the government's right, because I guarantee you that's going to be wrong. <laughs> it's not about whether all leadership is always right. It's about Christ. It's about God. It's about being submissive to his authority and being in proper order. It would be like taking a engine or something that's mechanical and taking a gear out of order and saying one gear is more important than the other and because i'm this gear i'm going to only do this but when you take a gear out of order and you choose to use it in a different way it it creates chaos within the system right if you ever have a timing belt break within an engine You know, how many things do you replace? It doesn't just break the timing belt. The timing belt creates stresses everywhere. It usually replaces the water pump, replaces all sorts of things, go out of order. When we choose to not live and be obedient to the Lord and not live in submission, we are taking things and we're producing disorder. And again, it's not about whether people are right. That's not what God's saying here. In fact, it's in the midst of suffering. And remember, by definition, it's in the midst of all of these things. Just for your information, God, the verse here, when he talks about servants, it's actually the word for slave. And it's one who lives in the same house as another. And... and um, it's actually talking about those who are under a master, who are working together closely in a, in a relationship, in a working order. That's why a lot of people refer to this in dealing with the workplace. How do we live in submission to the workplace? Um, I don't have time to break out all of the meanings of every one of the words, but the, the beauty of this is, is when you're living under close quarters, and, and how do you deal with those close quarters working with one another. Because many of us working in the workplace deal in close quarter relationships with one another. And so there's a lot of beauty in this passage. But here is the real thing. Based on last week, believers remember this. This is the number one thing. Believers should submit to the authority to honor God. This is the goal. This is the key. Remember, be subject, in verse 11, for the Lord's sake, or I'm sorry, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. Fear God, and look, servants, be subject to your masters with what? All respect in all things. God is giving us a new look, a new underlining theme in 1 Peter, and that is godly living. That our life matters. How we live our life does really matter. Let me show you. 1 Peter chapter 6, verse 7, it says, You have been uh, distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result, look at the result is, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials, purge away, sin and purify us, so that way we can be found in glorifying Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, 4, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which you were in your ignorance, but be like the holy one you were called, who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. In the midst of all the suffering, how we survive in the midst of suffering and persecution, living in a world that we really don't belong in is based not only on our salvation, but at the secondary theme in First Peter is how we survive is based on how we live. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and verse 9. Putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, that by it... By God's word, that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. Progressive sanctification. Progressively being grown into what God is perfecting in us for the day that we live for him forever in heaven when our salvation is completed. And it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. We are at, see that? We're at a hunger for God's word that we may grow in our godly lives, in our godly living, so that way we can sh- show to those around us that we do belong to God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent right off the get-go. This is is the secondary thing. It begins with their salvation in chapter 1, and now he's saying that our way that we live matters. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may also account for your good deeds as they observe them, glorifying God in the day of salvation. Godly living attracts the lost. People ask me, Hey, pastor, well, how do we grow the church? How can we be more attractive? This is your answer. Live a godly life in submission to God. It matters. 1 Peter 2, verse 15, which we just read. Such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. The word silence there literally means to put a muzzle on. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 12. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by your behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. The believing wife is to win her unbelieving husband to Christ by respecting him and living in a pure life. Submission. It's not by saying that the husband's right, you notice that. We all focus on, well, who's right and who's wrong? No, it's about living godly so that way godly behavior wins out for the glory of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 16. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the, for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. I love that. And do not fear their intimidation and do not not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience. That's living godly. Keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame godly living godly behavior changes things it attracts the lost it affects our relationships in the home it affects our relationships in church it reflects the relationships in our community it it changes the way that people persecute when people persecute us yelling screaming and fighting back does not change things that's what is prevalent in the world that's expected behavior in case you were wondering, there's more. First Peter chapter four verse two, where it says it says to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Our behavior is to be in line with the will of God. First Peter chapter four verses twelve through sixteen. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you are. Or don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ. Keep on rejoicing that so also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of Glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or a, a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. Our suffering is not so we can then do wrongdoing, but our suffering is so that way we can bring glory and honor to God. So God can change things, not us. First Peter chapter 5. Why should we live godly lives? Why is our godly behavior matter? Why should we submit and if for the Lord's sake be submissive even when people are wrong? 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. So we can be ready, guys. So we can be prepared. Look at verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his external glory in Christ, will himself protect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see? By our godly behavior, by submitting to God and, and, and focusing on Christ, look at that. By him who has called you, he will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's not based on your rights. It's not based on how you fight for what is you think your right is. This is the idea. Submission doesn't depend upon your boss deserving it. It's not about whether the authority in your life deserves it. And this is the problem in churches. So many people are like, well, I'm going to go to that church because that, the leadership in that church deserves to be listened to. That is not why you go to church. It has nothing to do... Now here's the, the, one caveat. A big parenthesis is if the leadership is not proclaiming the word of God, then run. Okay, if we're not being obedient to the word of God, then run. Okay, that doesn't mean at the first sign of something you don't like, you run. Our submission is for the Lord's sake. In First Peter, godly behavior includes a submissive attitude in our workplace. Our goal is not to glorify our rights, but to bring people to the point of seeing God and glorifying God, not glorifying ourselves. Submit doesn't depend on our boss. Did you see that in our text? It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. With all respects. What respects? In all respects, by submitting to God, honoring God, fearing God, we should be submissive. doesn't matter how they are, right? Romans 12, verse 17 through 19, tells us a very similar aspect. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Don't force people to do what you think is right. Respect what is right. And he's referring to our submission to God. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. I'll never forget one day... When one of the disciples of mine, one of the guys that I've been discipling, and I didn't realize he had learned this, but he had learned this uh, when some th- guys had stole the box out of the back of our truck when we were moving. It happened to be a box of all of our spices. And I laughed. I thought, ah, that's no big deal. And my wife was like, uh-uh, it's a big deal. And I said, it's, that's no problem. Oh, I didn't realize the severity of the problem until I went and tried to buy the spices and realized I couldn't pay for all the spices. I'm like, "I'm sorry, honey. I came back with four spices." <laughs> and I said, "I got pepper, I got garlic and I got salt. That's all I could afford." <laughs> then I realized the severity, right? But uh, this kid had his laptop stolen, and that was his life. He was going through all the certifications as a sophomore in, in high school, and he was passing he was in the process of passing all the Microsoft certifications that they had. And it was on that laptop. And he came to me and I said, man, that's brutal. I said, that's really hard. What are you going to do? And he goes, oh, it's okay. Because he says, I learned from you that, hey, I'm just going to leave them to God because God's wrath is much bigger than anything I could do. And I was like, you learned that from me? I was like, you just taught me again. (laughs) Because I was like feeling really bad for him. But he, he was like, it's no big deal. Because God's going to take care of it. And the way that God will take care of it, I love what it says in Romans. It says, leave room for God's wrath. The idea being is don't take revenge because we need to leave room for what God wants to do. But did you notice, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I'm always trying to drill this into my kids. But dad, they did... It doesn't matter. You live at peace. But dad, they didn't. No, it doesn't matter what they did. You live at peace. That's the point in church. That's the point in our society. That's a point about being submissive to our bosses and being submissive in the workplace and, and living at peace with one another. It depends on you to live a godly life before your coworkers and your bosses and before your community and before your fellow church members. It's not dependent on somebody else. Did you hear that? Church life is not dependent on what Sally Sue or somebody... I tried to pick... We don't have any Sallys in here. So it doesn't matter what Sally Sue does. It matters what you do in being submissive to God in order to keep order. In fact... Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, if we are living a godly life, then it's our responsibility to go help the other people that are not living godly, to help and lift them up so that they do live godly. Problem is, is we run from doing that. Learning to submit to people in the workplace is a huge step towards learning to submit to God. We can't cherry pick. You know what that means? Um, my sports guys over there. We can't cherry pick. Cherry picking is is uh, I don't know in what context that is to the picking actual cherries, but <laughs> I don't know where it came from. But what cherry picking is, what we mean by that is like in basketball, you can we can do we can play we can do it with soccer too. But that's usually when offsides takes place. But cherry picking is where a, a person lays back and sits at the end and then runs. And then waits until one of his teammates gets a a rebound. And he's so far ahead of the other players, the other guy just tosses it down. He catches it and just makes an easy layup. We call that cherry picking. And he just picks. He's not going to play defense. He's not going to do anything else. He's just going to wait until he can shine and he he can make the layup. But he doesn't help the team in any way. It's all about him accomplishing what he wants and to make that goal. You can't do that in God's order. We live in that system of God's order. Blessings come out of enduring difficult people. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in church, whether it's in our society, blessings come from enduring difficult people. And this is why. Because when we are submitting to God and we are submitting in the workplace and we're submitting at church and we're submitting to government, we are in the presence of God. We're, not only we are paying attention, we are focusing on what God wants, but also God is paying more attention to what we are doing. He is saying, I see that you're getting flack for doing the right thing. He notices our godly behavior. Verse 19, it's, it's pretty amazing. For this is a gracious thing. This draws God's attention, guys. When we live out godly behavior, it, not only are we blessed when we endure difficult people because we are in the presence of God, but also because it pleases God. We please God when we submit to those that are in authority. Ephesians 6.6 says, We are to work not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart as an act of submission. By the way, in the end of verse 20, it says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures uh, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit? That's a good question. For what credit is it? For when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Um, Some of your translations may say not this is a gracious thing, but this is a commendable thing. Or in the context, and in the Greek here, it says this is, finds favor with God. It pleases God. When we live godly in the midst of persecution and we actually live a life of submission. It pleases God. It also has a tremendous effect with your employers. It draws people to God. That asks of you, what is your testimony to those around you? What credit do you have? Is Is it a credit of sin? Are you banking sinful things? Or is it a credit of testimony of God's glory? Is it a credit of living for self or is it a credit of submitting to God? Because here's the thing. Because it fulfills God's purpose. Do you see the importance of verse 21? For this, for to this, what? To the idea of living a godly life before believers for the Lord's sake. This is for the Lord, being submissive to all authority, to those in our workplace, to all our masters, to those in authority. This is what? You've been called to. This is part of our life as people have been called out of sin to a life with God is to live a life of submission. That's what 2 Timothy, when Paul is telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. Here's the thing, if your behavior in the workplace is not Christ-like, if it's not submissive for the Lord's sake, it sends a message to the lost that your heart is set on earthly things, that you're just like them, that, that you don't have any heavenly priorities. As a believer, your behavior should reflect the conviction of what God has done and that he, the conviction that God will supply all of your need that god is your supreme authority that god is more important than your rights i love that in first peter in verse 12 of chapter 2 here in our text it says keep your behavior excellent our goal is not to glorify our rights to draw attention to our rights Again, I'm not saying that the people that you work with or that other authority in your life is... I'm not saying that you have to say, well, they're right. No, it's live godly. Be godly, and that means to be submissive. To allow God keep the proper order in things and live a godly life. To risk all for Jesus is to end all risk. And do Courage. Be of great courage. What is the story of your life? What does your life tell other people around you? What is the story of your life? And that's the thing. Do you, rese- do you resemble Christ? He was persecuted. He was spit on. Look at the way he... Submitted to authority even all the way up to the death on the cross. Why? For the Lord's sake and for our sake. He submitted. Will you submit? To whatever authority that God has placed in your life that you're struggling with, will you submit? Because it's for the Lord. It's for His sake. And here's the thing. It's for the sake of those unbelievers around you. Don't forget that. How do we grow the church? Live a godly life. It will attract the lost. Because they will see you endure. They will see you be given what God has promised. That peace that surpasses all understanding. That will guard your heart, your emotions, and the way you think in your mind because of what Christ Jesus has done for you on the cross. What are you representing? Is it Christ? If we aren't living godly lives, it's impossible to represent Christ. And it's hard to attract the lost. That's why so many people go at huge, great lengths, because it's difficult. But it's not difficult when we live godly. It's pretty easy. God will put them in front of you. You'll be able to cherry pick <laughs> because He will be doing the saving. You will see people get saved all around you because it'll be the Lord's work and not your work. Just live correctly in front of God. Lord, I pray with all of my heart that people that will resonate into the hearts of everyone here, how we live matters. We can't just keep sinning and say, well, that's okay, I'm saved. God will God'll, God'll take care of all my sin when I get to heaven. No. Lord, I pray that people realize that how we live matters now. Lord, and I pray that it will be the cry of our hearts as a church to live according to your holiness, that that is our pattern of living and responding to the relationships around us that it would be in a submission to your holiness, Lord. And Lord, right now, that if there's someone here that is living for themselves and that their heart doesn't belong to you, that their life is all about themselves and they've never given their life to you, they're not saved, that their sin is still condemning them, that if they stood before God right now, this morning, if they were in front of God, that they could not answer why they would be able to go to heaven. That they'd say, Lord, I did all these things. And they said, no, your sin still outweighs all your goodness. No sin can enter into the glory of heaven. I cannot be in the presence of sin. Lord, this morning, if their sin has not been dealt with because they've not given their life to you, they've not repented and believed and put their faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross, that he is the payment for their sin. He is the sacrifice that God, that you desire, that they would turn to you right now, that they would give you their life and say, Lord, I'm responding to you and saying, I need you. Lord, would you forgive me and accept me on the basis of what you did on the cross? I need to be saved. Save me this morning. Lord, that if someone here, that I invite them, Lord, that they would respond, that they would not leave here without responding to you and saying, Lord, here am I. I'm a sinner, and I can't be saved unless you save me from my sin. Save me. Thank you for dying on the cross and conquering sin for me. Thank you for that love in which you love me. And respond, Lord. I pray that they would do that this morning. And all of us would have enough courage to say that you are more important. Submitting to you is more important than being right. And that you would allow us to live in the proper order, living godly lives, that it would infect our community and that we'd see people come to Christ. Just praise you for your work, Lord, that you are doing. Pray that we would be useful to you, the Master, and that we'd be ready to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray.